shadows is steady as the morning sun when all is fading you remain you stay the same forever faithful we stand upon your every promise for you have never not come through when all is failing you Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship this morning at Fusion. We're so glad that you joined us here in person as well as online. Welcome. At this time, I invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. word of the Lord from Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Let's sing praises to him this morning. I am... I am holding on to faith Cause I know you'll make a way And I don't always understand And I don't always get to see But I will believe it I will believe it You make mountains move you make giants fall You use songs of praise To shake prison walls And I will speak to my fear I will preach to my doubt That you were faithful then You'll be faithful now I am standing on your word I'm calling heaven down to earth You will fight my enemies This will end in victory And I will believe it Yes, I will believe it Cause you make mountains move You make giants fall you use songs of praise to shake prison walls and i will speak to my fear i will preach to my doubt but you were faithful then you'll be faithful now you were faithful then 
You'll be faithful now And I know that I know You never fail Yes, I know that I know You never will Yes, I know that I know You never fail Yes, I know that I know You never will You make mountains move You make giants fall You use songs of praise To shake prison walls And I will speak to my fear I will preach to my doubt but you were faithful then You'll be faithful now You make fountains move And you make giants fall You use songs of praise To shake prison walls And I will speak to my fear I will preach to my doubt That you were faithful then You'll be faithful now, you were faithful then, and you'll be faithful
Amen. You may be seated. You know, as we were singing that song and it says, all thy works shall praise his name. I just about come to tears because I'm like, if we don't praise God's name, he says the rocks will cry out. I don't want to hear that happen. I want to hear us keep praising his name. And all the works, that means all you little kids, not even little ones. So man, some of those fifth graders get to be pretty tall. All the children that want to go to children's church can meet at that door by Miss Glassford. And we get to proclaim how good God is by giving a blessing to the kids. I'll get out of the way. It's okay. So adults, as one voice, we're going to proclaim and bless our children, saying, The Lord be with you. Yay, they know how to proclaim. Yes. <laughs> this morning, I, this morning, for all of you who don't know me, my name is Linda, and um, I'm going to do prayer this morning, and up until, until I woke up this morning, I kept saying, Lord, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do, Lord? What is this? And I landed on just the Lord's Prayer. So this morning, we're going to do the Lord's Prayer. It's not going to be the way we typically do the Lord's Prayer, because we just want to go all the way through. I'm going to just take one line at a time. We're going to pray through it. We're going to proclaim God's name. We're going to lay our hearts out to God. You can do that individually. I'll do that up front. But just lay your heart out to God. You guys all know how to pray. I don't have to show you how. I don't have to tell you how. Just lay your heart out before God and just give him everything you have. And we're going to do it with words that we already know, so it makes it really easy. So I'll keep us on track to keep through. This is your time with God. So use it. Our Father. Oh, yes, Lord. I am so glad to call you Father, Dad, Abba. And Lord, you are showing me this morning that sometimes it's not so hard for people to say those simple words, our father. They were hurt by a father. They were abandoned by a father. But Lord, I stand firmly on the truth that you never forsake us. You have never abandoned us. And you are holding me firm. So, Lord, even if those words hurt because we had a father who hurt us, we still want to look to you and say, my father, who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name, Lord. Holy, holy, holy. Honor and glory to your name alone, Lord. No one else can be magnified. No one else can be glorified. Lord, only you, Jesus Christ, only you. 
the one who died and rose just for me. Glory to your name, Lord. Your kingdom come. Lord, that sounds really scary. I don't know if I'm ready for your kingdom to come. I got different things to do this week. But Lord, I lay myself open. I lay myself before you. Say, Lord, if this is your will, if this is your time, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Help me, Lord, so that I can lay myself aside. Lord, use me, but lay me aside so that you are glorified. Your will is done. Lord, and I pray that your will is done here on earth as well as in heaven. Lord, it's one of my most confusing verses in Matthew. What I loose here is loosed in heaven as what I bind here on earth is bound in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven, Lord, your will be done. Bind those things so that they do not have a voice here on earth. Lord, give us our daily bread. I found this very interesting this morning, Lord, that we're taking communion this morning. As a community, we are going to take daily bread. And that's very simple, and it seems very easy. But Lord, to stay in that place of need for you to give me this on a regular basis and for me to put down my pride and turn to you and say, Lord, what is my daily bread today? Lord, forgive me Forgive me for the sins that I've created that I have done against you. Lord, forgive me for the sins that I may have done against others. Lord, you also reminded me this morning that in this of forgiving our debts and forgiving our debtors, help me to forgive myself also for the things that I might have done. Lord, lead me not into temptation. That one's huge. And I don't even know where to begin, Lord. So at this point, Holy Spirit, guide, direct, 
Direct my feet, direct my mouth. Help me so I may not turn back. Help me so that when I feel that little nudging, Holy Spirit, that you give to look again online, to see once what's there, or to gossip into someone else's life. Hold us back, Lord. Help me choose to not want to fall into that worldly trap. Deliver us from evil, Lord. Help us so that we can stand firm, we can stand strong, we can stand firm and stand up here and say, Lord, you are good. No matter all the crap that I'm going through and all the busyness that I was going through, Lord, I stand on your promises. You are good. You will give us our bread. You will forgive me. You will not lead me into temptation. Lord, deliver us. Lord, and help us never, never, ever to forget all power, all glory, everything that we may think is us is not us but you, Lord. Everything we do, Lord, is for your kingdom. Everything we do is to point people to that forever kingdom. Lord, yours is the power and the glory forever and eternity. Help me to remember to keep my eyes focused on you. Whenever I feel lost and swamped, just to look at you, Lord, because it's about your kingdom, your power, and your glory. Amen. Thank you, Linda. And uh, good morning, Fusion. Good morning, good morning. Um, how about you, but, um, and as, 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 uh, as Linda invited us into a time of prayer, um, I hope you, you, those moments of silence that you receive that as an invitation to pray uh, together. And I know there's a lot of things that, that we're praying for uh, in our world, uh, just thinking about earthquakes and wars and just the other part of the state and in Michigan State, East Lansing. Uh, our world is broken. And, um, and we need to pray, and we need to, we need to be the church. And that just, not only does it mean being pray, people of prayer, but uh, as I was just reflecting, to be a community that's there for one another, um, because the world is, and life is hard. Can I get an amen for that? <laughs> I mean, it's just a reality. And, uh, and our prayer and our hope is that this would continue to be a place where, where we can find love and support um, and, and this would be a safe place. So that's our prayer for, for this place. Um, a couple of just reminders. Uh, as, as always, we try to just remind, just thank you for your generosity. Worship is about giving, but uh, it's, not, it's just our worship, but it's our tithes, our offerings, all these things. So thank you for that. Uh, also, a couple things that are coming up this week. 
Uh, on Wednesday, we have an Ash Wednesday service. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent, and uh, we'll be having a service after a, a, a simple soup dinner. Uh, we'll be having a, a service right here in the, in the sanctuary. And we put ash on, on, on foreheads to remind us uh, of, our, of our mortality, uh, to remind us of, of, our, of, of, of our sin, and all that in light of the gospel, that Jesus came for a reason, uh, to rescue us and deliver us. And that is good news. Can I get an amen for that? Amen, yeah. And then the last thing is, um, this coming weekend is a really important weekend uh, across all three campuses, across this campus, in that it's our profession of faith weekend for our young people. Uh, junior high, senior high is kind of the typical age, and so if you have a young person who's contemplating, what does it mean to, to make a profession of faith, to stand up on a Sunday morning and to say, yes, I believe and I love Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, strength? Um, if, 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 if you have someone who just is even asking that question, sign them up for the weekend. It's Friday evening, Saturday morning, right in the anchor building. It's not overnight, uh, but the pastors are all going to be there teaching different sections. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, email Nate um, for more information or to sign up. That is good stuff, important stuff. Uh, but this morning, we are, we are continuing our series. We're, we're journeying through the grand narrative of Scripture. Believe it or not, we only have two more Sundays in the Old Testament. It's been a long journey, but a good journey. I hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, this week, we're, we're continuing in this, this part of the series, A Kingdom in Repair. Um, in some ways, uh, this, we're kind of stepping away from where we were last week in that we're looking at the story of Esther. Now, so this week, we, we're, we're kind of stepping away from the, the, the people rebuilding life in Jerusalem. And instead, what we're doing is we're focusing on the, those who did not return to Jerusalem to rebuild the nation of Israel. And, and that's important because so many, in fact, the majority of the Jewish people actually didn't return to Jerusalem, but the majority of them actually stayed where they had built a home in, in exile at this point in the Persian Empire. And, and so uh, those people then formed Jewish communities that were scattered around the ancient world. And I don't know if you remember this from our Acts series, but when, when Paul began on his missionary journeys, where was his first stop in parts of Turkey? It was in synagogues. It was in pockets of Jewish communities. And so what we see is this diaspora where, where God's people were scattered throughout the empire, throughout the, the known world, was part of a, a plan to spread the gospel uh, hundreds of years later. But anyway, uh, this week, again, we're, we're looking at the book of Esther, and Esther shares the account of two Jewish people living in Susa. Uh, say Susa with me. Susa. There you go. Now I just know you're awake. Yeah. Uh, Susa, which is the capital city of Persia. And the Persian Empire, uh, this th is, is this vast empire uh, stretching from kind of modern-day Pakistan all the way to Greece into Africa. This massive empire uh, consisting of 127 um, provinces. Um, but we, we take, this takes place in the, the Persian Empire about 100 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire. So we're stepping ahead in time. And the story, um, it, we've, we've, we've be become fairly... I think elements of Esther have become fairly well known. But this morning, I don't want to assume anything and instead 
I just want to just journey through the, the account of this beautiful, wonderful book and story. Where we're going to enter in is chapter four. Chapter four is the key moment where Queen Esther is faced with a decision. The king, King Xerxes, has issued a decree to have all the Jewish people in the entire empire, Persian empire, killed. And her adoptive father or uncle, Mordecai, instructs Queen Esther to plead with the king. To plead with the king. You're the queen. Plead for mercy on behalf of your people. And our passage we're going to read this morning picks up in this pivotal moment. Uh, Esther 4 verses 10 through 17, beginning with Esther's response to her uncle, Mordecai. If you're willing, if you're able, it is our custom to stand and honor God as God speaks to us this morning. So I invite you to do that at this time. Let's read. Listen, hear the word of the Lord from Esther 4. Again, verse, beginning with verse 10. This is Esther's response to Mordecai. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, this is what she says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do you think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another, another place but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we pray and we thank you for your word. And we thank you that uh, these accounts of your people have been preserved through history. And this morning we get to step into the experiences of Esther and Mordecai. And Lord, we pray that your spirit as we remember, as we remember what they faced and what they went through, Lord, that your spirit would, would speak into our hearts and that you would teach us, you'd form us and you'd challenge us and you'd comfort us in all the ways that we need. We pray all this in the wonderful, powerful, loving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. Just a, a question, if uh, anyone else, or if I'm the only one, at any point in your professional life, or maybe even personal life, uh, if you've ever had this thought... I am, I am not as competent or intelligent as people think. <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. I will. <laughs> or, or how about this one that, that kind of digs a little, a little deeper. I wonder how long it will take 
until people realize I don't actually know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know if I should share this, but your pastor has thought that sometimes. These, these, these voices of, of self-doubt, in fact, today there's a, there's a term for that. I think we've talked about this before, but they call it uh, imposter syndrome. Have you heard that, that phrase before? Imposter's syndrome. Um, I guess a, a little word of comfort to begin with, if, if you've ever had these thoughts, First, no, uh, you're not alone. Um, I thought, here I'm wearing a bow tie, and I'm like, anyway, I'm, anyway. I'm, I, and also, I had to fill in last minute for, for singing, so here I am singing and all my doubts. Anyway, and, and then I'm like wrestling with, oh, but if I share that, then are they going to think I'm fishing for compliments? So don't compliment me or anything like that, but just know that, that this self-doubt and all that stuff, like, you're not alone. In fact, this funny graphic just says that we all deal with imposter syndrome. In fact, it's quite common uh, among us all, but it's quite common among people who are pretty successful, uh, people who, who suffer with maybe some perfectionism or have a high level of expectations upon themselves. Uh, they're, they're tempted to begin to diminish their own achievement and successes. I read one statistic from uh, Psychology Today that... Um, as far as like professionals, 25 to 30% of high achieving professionals suffer from imposter syndrome. And then, then the, the article went on to say that, that 70% of those at some point in their career will have these kinds of self-doubt kinds of thoughts. Imposter syndrome. Now, now just take that and just kind of hold that thought, maybe put it in your pocket. We're going to circle back uh, toward the end of our time. But what I want to do before then is, is to get into the book of Esther, uh, the story about the queen. And what I want to do is kind of fill in or fill out the story of Esther a little more because I think uh, if we know and kind of see some of the details unraveling and unfolding within the story of Esther, it's going to help us see the point of the story and why this rather curious book, this curious account is in our scriptures. And so let's jump into the story, the book of Esther. This is God's story uh, of Esther beginning in chapter 1. If, uh, if you are following along the story, you read parts of this, or maybe today you can read through the book of Esther, but chapter one opens with, with really this interesting kind of curious account of the, the king of Persia. Uh, the king of Persia is Xerxes, which is kind of a fun name to say. You want to say that with me? Xerxes. Xerxes. Yeah, that's fine. You don't have to say Xerxes. Anyway, uh, the king Xerxes uh, reigned in the in empire, again, stretching from from. Pakistan, the edges of India, into Africa and almost to Greece. This is a massive empire, 127 provinces. And what we read in chapter 1 is that King Xerxes is so proud of his accomplishments that he decides to throw this massive banquet, 180-day, like half-a-year banquet just to celebrate how awesome and grand he is. The thing is, this banquet is really reserved for for his boys, if you will, if I can say that. Uh, these, are, these are the men of the empire that he throws this banquet for, his military uh, leaders, his, his nobles, his princes, etc. And seven days into this banquet, we read that, that Xerxes, who, who is not as a, he's not a good dude, okay? He is not a good guy. Uh, but he commands his queen, Queen Vashti, to come uh, to entertain his guests wearing her crown. And... That is the only thing that's mentioned that she is to wear. I will let you fill in the blanks there. This is not good. 
And Queen Vashti understandably refuses. Like, I am not going to come appear before you and your boys in this manner. But her refusal of the king summoning her is seen not only as a threat to Xerxes, but as a threat to all the men in the empire. Yeah, a little eye roll there, right? But anyway, Xerxes then deposes Queen Vashti of her title as queen. So now there is no queen in the Persian Empire. We get to chapter 2. King Xerxes begins to get lonely, so his attendants propose this plan um, that, that really reads like a gross and twisted version of Cinderella's Ball. It is not a fairy tale. Uh, like we sh- this is not ethical or moral, I mean, morally upstanding. No, this is... They gather the beautiful young virgins from across the empire. They're gathered into the palace. They're given beauty treatments for a year to prepare them for their night with the king. And here's where we're introduced to a Jewish man named Mordecai. Mordecai is from the tribe of Benjamin. He has a, a niece or a cousin named Hadassah. That's her Hebrew name. And her, Hadassah has lost her parents, and so, so, so Mordecai takes her into his own home, and she becomes a daughter to him. She's given the, the Persian name Esther, and Esther is one of the virgins who's taken into the king's harem. And she receives these beauty treatments for a year, has her night with the king, and earns his favor and is made queen. Now, some of the background that we're also told is that Queen Esther keeps her Jewish background and identity a secret uh, from the king uh, to follow Mordecai's instruction. Mordecai, her uncle, is constantly checking in on Esther throughout this whole ordeal, visiting her in the courtyard, making sure she's okay. Here, while he's at the king's gate, we read that Mordecai overhears an assassination plot against the king. And he shares that with Esther after she's become queen and she shares that with the king and the assassination plot is defeated. And this this story then becomes recorded in the chronicles of King Xerxes. Now that is going to come into play a little bit later. Chapter 3, we begin and we're introduced to this, this wicked official within the court of King Xerxes. His name is Haman. Haman is, is evil, he's, he's prideful, he's completely self-absorbed. He walks around the kingdom and he expects people to bow down to him. And people do, all except for one man, Mordecai. And because Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman, Haman is outraged. And Haman begins to plot not only how to destroy Mordecai, but he finds out that Mordecai is a Jewish man and he begins to plot how he will destroy all of the Jewish people in the entire empire. And that's what he does. He begins to scheme and gets King Xerxes to issue a decree that throughout the empire, all of the Jewish people would be killed and annihilated. And what does he do? He rolls a dice, just this callous uh, act. He rolls a dice. In the Hebrew, it's, it's pur, P-U-R. Uh, that's, that's dice in Hebrew. He rolls a dice to determine the day that this would happen. King Xerxes and Haman issue this decree. They have a drink. They drink to it. Um, And yet we read this. I I find this just a curious passage. At the end of chapter 3, we read, The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. Everyone in the city is like, what is going on? People are aware that this is not right. 
chapter four begins. This brings us to the, our passage this morning. Mordecai hears of this decree and he's beside himself, understandably so. His entire people are being commanded that they will be eradicated. He tears his clothes. He covers himself with sackcloth and ash, this biblical vision of, of what is mourning and grief. And he weeps bitterly. He's wailing in the city of Susa. Esther sees this, inquires of Mordecai, and he fills her in. He says, this is what the king has decreed, and he instructs her to go to the king, beg for mercy, plead with him for her people. Verse 8, and Esther responds with the reality that this is not a simple request. She cannot just go to the king. She cannot, even as queen, she cannot just go to the king un, unannounced or unsummoned by the king, or else she could face death unless he extends his gold scepter. And this is when Mordecai responds with these powerful and convicting words to who is, understand, his daughter, someone he loves. And let me just read those words again. Do not think, my daughter, that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family, father's family will perish. And who knows? but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Now the story's gonna continue. Uh, well, if, if you're familiar with the story, Esther does act with great courage, right? Goes to the king who extends the scepter and then the, the whole story just twists in chapter six. That's really hard to see. This is a poster from Bible Project. Check that out. Watch the video. It's, it's really helpful to summarize this. But right at the bottom in the center is chapter six where the whole story flips. Uh, Esther has invited the king and Haman to this banquet and then, and then the king begins to lose sleep and he's like, I, I can't get to sleep. So he asks one of his officials to begin reading to him from the annals, the records. And what story does the, this, this servant begin to read? The story of Mordecai stopping this assassination plot. And so the king is like, have we ever recognized this Mordecai? Haman comes to him and begins, and, and, say, and, and Haman thinks that the king wants to honor him. And Haman says, well, throw a parade and have him march around the city on a horse. And he says, yes, do that for Mordecai. Do you see how this is just irony in this twist? And so, so Mordecai is honored in the way that Haman thought he should be honored. And then when we get to the next chapter is Haman had erected a 70-foot stake to impale Mordecai on because he wanted to destroy Mordecai. And what happens in chapter 7 is that Haman is then impaled on that same stake. A twist of irony. Well, anyway, the, Esther goes to the king and he can't just, he can't just cancel the edict, the, the decree that he gave uh, previously because that would show weakness. But instead, uh, they come up with a plan that he offers another decree that on the same day, the Jewish people would have the right to defend and defeat anyone who tries to take their lives. And that is what happens. They would defeat their enemies and this day would come to be remembered as the Feast of Purim. Have you heard of that? Yeah, Purim is a, is a Jewish festival and we read about that in the book of Esther. Uh, derived from the word pur, dice, Purim, the Feast of Purim. And Purim is actually going to be celebrated March 6th through 7th. I went a little more into that than I intended to. But what I want to do is, is just give us a whole idea, a picture of this entire beautiful story 
because I think it's going to help us as we zero in on these words of Mordecai that we read from chapter 4 because I think they tell us something significant about God's sovereignty and God's call. God's sovereignty and God's call. Let's begin by talking about God's sovereignty. Mordecai, even in this, these words that he says to his daughter Esther, he is confident that deliverance for the Jewish people will come somewhere. Uh, he, is, he is grieving, but, but Mordecai then asks this powerful, probing question of wonder, and it's just so powerful. He says, who knows? In other words, I wonder if, just maybe, you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You see, behind this question of Mordecai is this confidence, this faith in the Lord. Mordecai believes in God's faithfulness to his covenant people, even as, they, as they're in, in, in Persia, far away from Jerusalem, which is beginning to be rebuilt. He has this confidence in God's sovereignty, and he begins to wonder with his daughter, maybe, just maybe, God has been at work in all that we've gone through in the last year plus, right? As a reader, the, the answer to that question, has God been at work through chapters one through four, the answer as a reader, we say, yes, because we can see it, which is a powerful point because even when God seems absent, Esther tells us, this book of Esther tells us, God is faithfully at work. Even when God seems absent, God is faithfully at work. One of the curious facts, one of the most fascinating facts about the book of Esther, I don't know if maybe you've heard this before, but did you know that, that, that God is never mentioned in the entire book? The name of God, Elohim, the name of God, the Lord Yahweh, never mentioned, not once explicitly mentioned in the book of Esther. It's the only book in the entire book, the, the, the entire Bible where God's name is not explicitly mentioned. But that's why I wanted to tell you all of these details and how they're all kind of working together because the details of the story tell us that even though God's name is mentioned nowhere, God's activity, God's hand shows up everywhere in the story. Isn't that incredible? And I think that's an intentional move of the author to, to leave out the name of God because what's happening is, is messy and it's, 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 it's ugly, it's bad, right? Consider the story though. God is working through, through an impulsive, chauvinistic king. God is working despite the evil plans of this self-obsessed royal official Haman. Uh, God is, is working to position people, uh, a couple of faithful and courageous Jewish people, Mordecai and Esther, in places of influence. Mordecai stops an assassination plot against the king. Esther, becoming the queen, earns favor within uh, the royal uh, household of the Persian Empire. And what for also that the Jewish people would be preserved and protected in the Persian Empire. Now again, some of the details of the story, it's like it's messy, it's imperfect. There's, there's this moral ambiguity on like what, were, you know, what was going on, but God is at work. Even when God seems absent, his name's never even mentioned in the book, Esther reminds us that God is faithfully at work. And I don't know about you, but boy, that's a powerful word today that even when God seems absent, God is faithfully at work. 
I mean, if we're honest, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to even believe that, and that's okay. We can wrestle with that. But what a word for today in a, in a world that's messy, that's imperfect, that's filled with, with nuance and, and brokenness and sin and evil. We can remember the promises and the testimony of Scripture and, and, and hold on to that belief that even in the midst of all of the junk, even, even when we do not see, even when we cannot see God or God's name, God is at work. God is faithful. As we prayed this morning, God will not abandon his people or his promises to his people. And we have to remember that when Mordecai offers this word to Esther, Remember, he's covered with sackcloth and ashes. He has just spent the whole day wailing before God. And yet he holds on to this. This belief is somewhere there yet that God is sovereign. God is at work. God is faithful. What an important word for us today when we, we look around in our world and Again, we see, we see earthquakes in Turkey and Syria and people still being pulled out of the rubble. We, we see a war and these conflicts that are continuing to go on on the other side of the world. We, we see what happened on MSU's campus and it's just the world we live in is, is so broken. And we look at that and we're like, I don't, I don't, see, I don't, I don't see God. I don't see God's name. He's still at work. And it's not just global events, it's, it's what we experience in our lives as well because each of us come here and we, we carry a certain, uh, a different level of, of experiences and of experiencing illness or, 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 or loss and death and, and relationships that are broken and we're like looking at that and we're like, I, where's God in this? Esther reminds us that God is sovereign, God is at work, God is faithful, even in the midst of all of the broken mess that we see, witness, and experience in this world. God is sovereign. And here's the second thing that Mordecai's word remi- words remind us of, is that so often God chooses to do that work through people that he has called. Let's talk a little bit about God's call. Mordecai's words to Esther begin to ask, begin to wonder, maybe, maybe, just maybe, this deliverance will come through you. <laughs> like daughter, Esther, maybe you've come to this position for such a time, that's such a powerful line, for such a time as this. God's call in Esther's life is, is firmly grounded in his sovereign plan that has mysteriously brought her to this point of answering this call. There's, there's all kinds of questions of how she got to this point and what was her role and all of this stuff and it's, it's ugly and it's, you know, sometimes we, tr- we try to, we try to uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of airbrush or make, make, make the story sound more friendly for kids, but it's, it's not. It's ugly and it's nasty. And, and, and yet, yet even despite all of that, God has brought Esther to a moment where through her faithfulness, his people, despite these awful circumstances, God can work in a moment. In this moment, Mordecai is pointing out that God's plan, God's call, all of this has aligned and and now is a moment where Esther, you can make a difference in the future of God's people in the Persian Empire. What it reminds us is God's plan works out through uniquely positioned people 
Esther was uniquely positioned to step out in courage and faith, to be used by God to deliver and rescue her people, God's people. And she does it. And how does she do it? If I perish, I perish. I mean, can, I don't even know what we should say about Esther. I mean, she's kind of punk rock, right? I mean, right there, like, that's incredible. What an incredible story. What an incredible response by the queen to step out in faith. And if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to follow what I feel God is calling me to do. And maybe you hear this story of, of Esther, and, 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 and maybe part of you is wondering, that's, that's incredible, and that's, that's wonderful that God positioned this woman to be queen so that she could make this huge difference. But maybe you might be thinking, but I'm not a queen. I'm not a, I'm not a king. I, I'm not in any kind of position of influence or power. And, and, and I guess that's, that's all true. Like, I give you that. But here would be my, my gentle and loving pushback is that God is, has uniquely positioned all of us. God has uniquely positioned each and every one of us here this morning. Sure, none of us are kings or queens, but God has uniquely positioned each and every one of us in a circle of influence. Each and every one of us is is in a specific family. Each of us live in a specific neighborhood. Each of us go to work at a specific place or we have a specific background. Each of us uh, comes here today with a variety of experiences. Good ones, bad ones, even ugly ones. And I would contend that God can use each and every one of those experiences. Each of us is uniquely positioned to answer God's call to step out in faith in a moment. The reality is that that you can reach people that I'll never be able to, even though I'm a pastor, whatever, you know, whatever that title means, you know, today. I don't know. And the same is true for me. I can reach people in my neighborhood that you'll never even talk to or or meet, right? We are each uniquely positioned to step into God's call in our lives in this day, in this moment. And we don't know what a simple act of kindness or generosity might bring to someone's life. It could be life-changing. A few few weeks ago, we, we heard testimony from Don Housecamp, our Kids Hope Director. You remember that? Don came up and, and she shared this incredible story of, of Mary Van Denen um, who mentored a student and that student then felt compelled to be a mentor later. So like Kids Hope Ministry is, is becoming generational. That's incredible. What I, what I want to follow up with is that Don was sharing this past week that, that seven mentors from across three campuses have stepped up to mentor kids and they're being trained. Stepping out in faith to make a difference in a young person's life who just needs to know that they are loved. Not only that, but just this past week, I, I had multiple conversations, the last couple weeks actually, and, and where people felt, felt compelled. One person felt compelled to, to reach out to people who are new and to get them plugged in and, and so that they, they just feel compelled that everyone in this community, this space, should feel like they belong to be part of this community. That's incredible. Someone else uh, came, uh, came up to us and said, you know, I got a passion for prayer and praying for our kids. And did you know that there's a prayer group happening on Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. right here in our basement? Stepping out in faith. 
Someone else came up to me and said, I got a passion for, for the Bible and the scriptures, and I want people to, to go deeper in the scriptures beyond Sunday morning, and, and I, I, wanna, I feel called to, to kind of help lead that in, in this next season, whatever that is. There are people that God is calling, and, and when I see people being raised by God, I just get so excited. And, but please hear me that it's not just ministry purposes. Maybe for you, you're, you're in your neighborhood and God just kind of pulls on your heart and, and you see that neighbor and, and God just says, you know what, go over there and bring some cookies. I don't know. I don't know. But don't, don't diminish what God can do when God puts a call in the life of his people for such a time as this. Because he has placed you within his sovereign plan so that he can use you to fulfill his good promises. And the question for us is, is will we listen when the Spirit prompts us? Will we listen through, uh, through the Mordecais in our lives who just gently give us that challenge? Will we ask, will we wonder, maybe this is, this is my Esther moment to step out in faith. Maybe it's big ways. Maybe God's calling you to something big in your, in your estimation. Maybe it's something so small and simple, you're like, you kind of push it aside. No, 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 no. Don't dismiss that. Because God is at work in his people. Which, which brings me back to where we started. You can take that thought of imposter syndrome. I don't know if you put it in your metaphorical pocket or whatever. <laughs> the reality is for many of us, we, be, we become paralyzed with doubt and fear. And I think it's not just our professional lives, but it's, it's when we think about being used by God, like, like who am I? Who am I to be, to be used by God? I'm, I'm underqualified. I'm ill-equipped. I lack resources or personality or experiences or I've had those experiences that disqualify me. It, let's go back during the story. How many of the people of God that God used throughout the story of God's people were qualified, who were perfect? None of them. Moses couldn't even talk, right? And he, and he tried getting out of it like four different times. No. That's not how God works. See, here's the interesting thing. I'm, I'm reading this, this article in Psychology Today about imposter syndrome. In the world's answer to imposter syndrome, do you know, what, you know what the article said? Change one's own mindset about their abilities. Acknowledge your, your expertise and your accomplishments. Basically, remind and retrain and convince yourself to believe that you are enough. Basically, the answer to imposter syndrome is to kind of boost up our self-esteem. Now, self-esteem's good. Don't, don't hear me wrong. Like, these are, these are good practices. I'm not denying that. But, but the gospel gives us one better. The gospel of Jesus Christ has another answer to imposter syndrome. It's not, it's not believe in yourself more or believe that you're good enough. No, it's to understand that God is at work in and through his people. God is faithful and God is big enough and strong enough and loving enough. And God can and will use all of your gifts, your talents, and your experiences because believe me, each and every one of us have all of those things. But God will also use your deficiencies and your failures and your shortcomings because I've seen over and over how God used someone's brokenness and the brokenness of their story to allow them to connect and minister to someone else who's going through the very same thing. God can use all of us and how he's brought us to this moment for such a time as this. This is the 
beauty in the gift of the gospel. And this is, what I want to do is, I think the Apostle Paul says it better than I can. And so, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Apostle Paul writes this about the body of Christ. This is one of the images of the church of Jesus Christ. He says, but as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We are part of God's, the body of Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. And then there's this dialogue between, you know, the ear shouldn't wish they were an eye, and he says this, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Friends, this is the gift of the gospel. God uses all the parts of the body of Christ. All the parts of the body of Christ are essential and not to be diminished. This is the mysterious grace of the gospel. God is at work. God is faithful. Even when it's hard to recognize, even in the darkest moments, God is at work to bring light and life out of darkness and death. And this is the hope we have in the gospel. And this, friends, is why we regularly return to this table, this table before me, to remember how God has worked in the darkest of hours to bring life into the world. That when all hopes seemed to be lost, Jesus Christ dying on a cross, no, that was just the beginning. And life would come in ways we couldn't even imagine. To find hope in the midst of the journey and to be reminded, we call this communion. Because not only do we commune with Jesus Christ, but we gather together as the body of Christ that none of us is alone in this world on this journey God has called us to. And so let's prepare our hearts Let's remember and receive the gift of Christ's body and blood. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for for this account, this testimony of Esther, Queen Esther, Mordecai, and Lord, how, how you were at work in and through, and yes, despite a lot of difficult circumstances. Lord, may this bring us even a glimmer of hope this morning. That we, we serve a God who, who did not leave us in our brokenness, but Lord, this table reminds us that Jesus Christ, you stepped into this broken world, physically present, just as this bread and this juice we will drink physically. Lord, you are physically present. And Lord, you came in order to, to show us how to live, how to love you, how to love our neighbor. But ultimately, Lord, you came to show us what love looks like. And Lord, you gave your life, willingly dying on a cross so that we would experience the grace of complete forgiveness, that we would experience the grace of communion and fellowship with our God and our Father in heaven. 
So Lord, prepare our hearts to receive this, this gift of grace. Nothing we've done to deserve or earn it, but Lord, this is all grace. I pray all this in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Just a few words of instruction. We have uh, two stations up front. When, uh, when invited, when you're ready, uh, feel free to take time as you need it. Um, come forward. We're going to use these kind of center outside aisles and work our way outside to return to your seat. But come forward. Uh, take a piece of bread. Take a cup of juice. Partake. Uh, and then there's trash receptacles. Maybe not over there, but we'll get one. You, you'll, be, you'll be good. Um, if, if for whatever reason you need gluten-free, uh, we have some gluten-free in the back. Uh, or if you prefer to partake at your seat, uh, feel free uh, to just raise your hand and we'll come and serve you there. Uh, but at this time, let's, let's remember the events of that final night of Jesus with his disciples. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks to God, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, our Lord Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. Friends, we, we gather here this morning remembering once again that there's, there's nothing we've, we've done to deserve this gift of grace. But for those who, who say, I believe, I believe. And maybe today that belief is, is the size of a mustard seed come forward and receive the grace of God. Come, for all things are now ready. Servers, come forward first. the dead came to life I believe there were wonders and signs you're still the same I believe every word that you said I believe there are scars in your hands that your goodness is good without end you'll never change 
I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace. The God of creation knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Always. Your mercy is mighty, age after age. And all generations will bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always, always. I believe you are here even now. In your presence I know there is power, power to save. I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace. The God of creation knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Always. Your mercy is mighty, age after age. And all generations bow down in praise. The Lord is faithful. Yesterday, now, and always, always. You are, you are, you always will be God. You are, you are, you always will be God. You always will be God. Tell of your wonders, sing of your praise. The God of creation knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Why you stand with us? Always. Your mercy is mighty, age after age. All generations bow down in praise. The Lord is faithful. Yesterday, now, and always. Oh, you were. You were. You were. You are. You always will be God. You were. You were. You are. You always will be God. Yes, you always will be I will tell. I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace. The God of creation knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Always. Your mercy is mighty, age after age. All generations will bow down and praise the Lord is Yesterday, now, and always, always. Your mercy is mighty, age after age. All generations will bow down in praise. The Lord is faithful, yesterday, now, and always. Praise 
God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. The things of only last for a season, dust to dust. It passes away, and in the end, God, you alone endure. You fulfill all you have spoken. What you said is done in your name, and in the end, your word alone endures. Like shifting shadows As steady as the morning sun When all is fading You remain You stay the same Forever faithful We stand upon your every promise For you have never not come through When all is failing You remain You stay the same Stay the same 